0: Welcome to the England Athletics Podcast. Sprint hurdler David King joins us this month, Olympic semi finalist, three times British champion, who is now based at Phoenix Track Club in Arizona. Phoenix, of course, being an immortal bird which rises from the ashes, so says Greek mythology. Of course, you knew that. Actually, for David King, it's more the stuff of legend. He rose over the hurdles to make the recent World Indoor Final in Belgrade in the most bizarre of circumstances, where the drawing of lots was needed because his time was equal to the thousandth of a second to Japan's Shusei Namoto. We'll talk about that, how he's fallen back in love with the sport and doesn't just want to be a guy who makes the team. In fact, he's been at all of the big six comps indoors and out at some point during the last five years speaking of big events all our content is about the journey to 2022 that concerns the birmingham commonwealth games and later a bit of an england athletics discussion panel about how we can make sure there's a legacy after the games but first as i told dave king we put two names in a bag pulled his out and got him on the podcast time to catch up on how he's feeling
1: yeah well i'm good thank you for having me firstly had a crazy few weeks, including Belgrade. I'm feeling like one of the luckiest guys on the track. It was a great chance for me, but obviously it it didn't come without any drama.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I suppose you're someone who's been quite consistent in making a lot of major tournaments, but you would have wanted to get through to the final, contending for those medal positions.
1: Yeah, as an athlete, I've been very consistent in making championships. But the problem I have with that is I've been consistent in just about making championships never kind of I've never been one that's guaranteed to make a team you know so every year I've kind of peaked to make a championship and in doing so I've run my best time maybe three or four weeks before the champs so by the time the champs have come around I've just been so tired because I've peaked already and this is the first year where I've not had that problem I've comfortably hit the qualifier I'm in the best shape of my life so I was able to do that with my opening race so that was really, really nice. And it meant that I could really target the championship and be ready for that day. So that's what we did just this year. And I came out in the semi final and ran a, ran an equal PB and then eventually made the final. It would have been a disappointing championship for me if I were to not. I can't imagine how the Japanese athlete must feel because he did exactly the same as what I did and didn't make it. So I, my heart does go out to him.
0: How did you feel... When you found out that you'd run the exact same time as the other athlete?
1: It was just kind of hard to believe. The question in my head was, okay, so what happens next? And everyone that I was speaking to kind of said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happens next. So it was just a, a huge moment of uncertainty. And it was it lasted a lot longer than you would expect it to last. So obviously I went probably 15 minutes without knowing at all what was going to happen, you know. Um, There was rumours that it was going to be a coin toss. There was all sorts of speculation as to what they could do, but no one could tell me what they were going to do. Crazy few moments. And then overall, it ended up lasting about 45 minutes, I think, from when I finished my race to actually doing the name out of the bag. Malarkey.
0: (laughs) It seems bizarre. I remember talking to a, a technical official once, you know, just about what's interesting about what they do. And this was one of the things that came up, the, the fact that it's, it's very, very unlikely, but you do end up with a, a drawing of lots or whatever you want to call it. It changes your emotion dramatically, whether you're on the losing side or, or the winning side of that, right? Yeah. Do you think that that can stay as a rule?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of something I've said to a lot of people. It's like, maybe I would feel differently about it if I was on the, the, the bad side of the, of the name pool. In the moment, there was no... Kind of other option in my head. I've been reading like all the replies to, I think, like the Athletics Weekly polls mm. and questions. What else do you think they could have done? Very, very few that were actually kind of logistically possible. We couldn't have had a rerun or a runoff because there was no time. You know, we'd already, that was already our second race in one day. The final was by that time, it was about an hour away. That was not possible. If you went back to heat times, That's just not how we run heats. We don't run heats to run our best times, you know? The qualification was top three in each heat, right? So as an athlete, you know that's what you need to do. In hurdles, honestly, it's not about conserving energy. Like, you've got 60 meters. If you shut down off the last hurdle, you're not going to save much energy. So you could run fast in the heat, but you just kind of, you just don't. It's weird. Like, if, if if you're in the top three, you just kind of, you know you're there. You play it safe. You don't take any risks. You just want to finish the race and not hit a hurdle. I won my heat. It was a close heat, but could have pushed a lot harder if I really wanted to. Um, And the same applies to the Japanese athlete. And then it just comes almost down to luck and how you ran your first heat. In the future, they could change it. And that as long as athletes know that heat rounds are going to be used, so maybe we'll run a bit harder in the heats. So that's one that for me, I wasn't really fair another one i've i've read which i actually am most on board with is minusing your reaction time from the semi-final race you know so then you've got like a true race time if they had done that i wouldn't have got through so i'm kind of glad they didn't <laughs> but that is in my head the fairest way in that situation
0: i mean the fact very few people knew about it does also suggest that it, it is unlikely to happen Let, let's move on from that i guess so you're in uh, phoenix At the moment, you're preparing then for the outdoor season and one which you hope you can build on what happened in Belgrade.
1: Yeah, so I'm back in Phoenix, back with my team, Phoenix Track Club. Everything's going pretty well. Yeah, it's a a big, big outdoor season ahead. We've got three championships and I'm trying to go to all of them. Obviously, the first one is the, the world, which is out here in America. I had the best winter I've ever had. I've kind of got into my best kind of race mindset I've ever been in which is something that's kind of always held me back. Well, held me back over the last few years It's since I joined Phoenix Track Club, all of like last year and the year before, the times that I was running in a race weren't quite correlating to the times that I was running in training. So there was something going on, which was stopping me from kind of executing how I how do in, a, in training in a race. And this indoor season, it's, I felt like I've managed to overcome that.
0: When thinking about going to all of the championships that are available, that you could be selected for this year, does being aware of burnout become a factor or not really? A little,
1: but not. It's not too too bad because the championships are so close. Um, obviously, you've got the worlds, and then I think two. I think maybe two weeks later, we've got the Commonwealth Games. Those are the two biggest ones for me, and then the European Championships follow sh- pretty shortly after the Commonwealth Games. So, it's it's not unusual for me to have three races within, or three competitions within three or four weeks. So I know that I can do that. 110-meter hurdles isn't the most fatiguing event. It's not like it's a, a 1500 where it's going to take you a long time to recover from that. As long as I'm good for the for the Worlds and the Commonwealths, if I have a good championship, I'll be in the best kind of headspace to then go to the Europeans and do well there too.
0: Yeah, so with an England Athletics kind of hat on, Birmingham home Commonwealth Games for Team England, which is really exciting. I think we, we have been blessed with quite a few home championships in recent years, but just to have a home crowd there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the Commonwealth Games in Australia are my favourite championships today, partly because it was in Australia and I'd never been and it. it was cool to explore. But an England athletics team just has a different feel to a Great Britain team. And it's like a, a more kind of, I'd say, fun and friendly atmosphere, which I really like. I respond better to, so I'm really looking forward to being in that England setup and at a home championship. That's going to be, the effects of that are going to feel tenfold. It's going to feel great. It's going to feel really exciting as an athlete. And Birmingham is a place where I've raced hundreds of times. I've been racing in Birmingham since I was a young kid, so I'm very excited to be there.
0: Now, of course, England as well is kind of the the junior pathway, England athletics, uh, which you've come through. I mean, you, you had some breakthrough races not to make you feel old, but coming up to a decade now, I think when you were in that English school sort of uh, environment under 20 titles that you won in 2013, what breakthrough moments do you remember when you took your first steps as an athlete?
1: English schools were always huge. You know, that was the Olympics for 15, 16-year-olds. It was the pinnacle of sport, and it meant everything for you in that moment. That is the sort of experience that's prepared me for... Life as a professional athlete, you know, so that was the first time we started targeting a specific me, and just like everything that came with it like the travel, the team environment, and the whole kind of pressure of it all was really great as an athlete. So that was my first kind of best, like, kind of look to the future, you know, look to how it's going to be as a pro athlete. My breakthrough was when I made my first, no, my first ever team actually, the Loughborough International. Yeah, I mean, England Athletics do provide a good kind of junior development pathway and it's that that makes you good as a senior athlete.
0: What was the best advice you were given when you started off in the sport that encouraged you to to keep going? You know, Because hurdles, you hit one hard and you certainly know about it.
1: I just really enjoyed the challenge of it. I started at the City of Plymouth Athletics Club. I'm still a member there and I go back there quite regularly. But my coach then, Steve Endicott, he instilled a work ethic where I just wanted to improve based on myself and not compared to other people. So as a, as a young athlete, I was never the best. I think I got silver at English schools as my best in my last year. But there were always people who were better than me, quite considerably better than me. But because I had this work ethic where it was just improve on what I was doing, kind of stopped me from falling out of love with the sport, you know, because it's easy to compare yourself to other people and kind of be discouraged by the fact that they're better than you. But especially as a kid, progressing at your own rate. Don't progress at other people's rate, progress at your own rate.
0: From a mental health perspective, that can be really tiresome when you're looking at others. But then sometimes you can do that in a positive way and see what people are doing. That might be, a don't know, a good way of recovering or technique that they've picked up. Do you have to strike a balance in, in that regard?
1: I think comparing times... Is never a good thing to do, whatever age you are. But learning from other people is a good thing to do, whatever age you are. There's never a bad time to learn about how to be a better athlete. But if you look at someone else, if you look at, say, my times from when I was a 15 year old and someone else, whatever their times are as a 15 year old, it doesn't matter. I always felt like I would be a late peaker. I think I'm kind of proving that at the moment, but. I think maybe that mentality is what kept me going until this age and kept improving
0: at this age. You're kind of putting the city of Plymouth on the map in a way, yeah. Through your success, I was talking to the high jumper Joel Clark Khan, who was saying the same about Worcester. It's just nice because I'm quite boring. I'm from London, so there's a real interest, which I always feel (laughs) is a shame. Yeah, I'm sure that the local newspapers and, and you know in Plymouth have been kind of having your picture in for years and, and if you've got any keen relatives they might have been saving those newspaper cuttings. But um, that's nice in a way that you keep that connection with Plymouth.
1: For sure. And they've they've always been behind me. But you're right, there's there's not been a ton of success from Plymouth. Our biggest athlete so far is Catherine Endicott who won multiple medals at Commonwealth actually for England. So she's and she was the daughter of my my old coach Steve. But when you go down the track now it's it's really cool to see so many people hurdling and it never used to be the case there never used to be that many hurdlers but i think because i've been doing well in the hurdles everyone else has kind of seen it and wanted to try it so now we've got a really good crop of youngsters so you never know maybe we'll be a hurdling club from now
0: on yeah well that would be fantastic if you've inspired people or or just generally that that kind of expertise has been kept up it's tough though because going back to what i said about predicting a hurdles race sometimes it it could be yourself or andy posi you see you know someone who's in great contention for the race and you or a competitor hits one hurdle and you're leading at one point and then you're back to to fourth must be really difficult those fine margins being so neck and neck just to try and manage all of that
1: sure the thing with hurdles is if you've hit a hurdle essentially you've done something wrong obviously it happens because you're in the most intense environment. There's so much pressure on you. So you might be trying to do something just to gain that extra edge, maybe push a bit too hard, and then you've hit a hurdle. But that's the thing. In a hurdles race, you can't do anything wrong. Otherwise, you will hit a hurdle and you'll feel it. It can go very wrong.
0: So tell me then, what's been the adjustment for you being in uh, based in, in Phoenix and, and what's that been like Plymouth for most of your um, teammates? is probably the uh, the Plymouth in the US.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, The biggest thing for me coming out here was finding love for the sport. Before I came here, my last personal best was in 2017, um, which is quite a few years ago now. I just kind of hit this plateau. I wasn't really enjoying training the last few years when I was in the UK. There was nothing that I was really excited to do. And I, I wasn't excited to be at the track. You know, I was just kind of going there to get my session done and then go home. The reason I moved to Phoenix was I met some of the guys on the circuit. So I met Devon Allen, I met Freddie Frittenden and a couple of others who were involved with the team. They were just telling me how much fun they have at training. These guys individually are just such great people, really great energy. And they basically said, oh, you should come out. I thought about it a long time and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So I came out here at the end of 2019, honestly, instantly fell back in love with the sport. Everyone in the group was such positive people. They really get behind you. They have a great laugh at training. As soon as I started enjoying the sport again, my times just shot through the roof, and it was just crazy. So for me, it really highlights that whatever you are doing, whatever your setup is, it needs to be something that you love and something that you enjoy doing. Um, so for me, I think that's the biggest
0: change. And did that involve quite a, a sacrifice? Actually, going out to the US and you know breaking away from connections that you had in the UK, yeah, you know, your friendships.
1: It did, yeah. Um, the biggest one was financially. It was for me. It was a big push to, just to get to the Olympics. So obviously, I went out at the end of twenty nineteen, hoping to go to the Olympics in twenty twenty. On reflection, it was a short time for a new setup to pay off. I had saved up enough money to, to, to go over for one year, essentially, and then the Olympics obviously got postponed. Which, again, on reflection, was kind of a blessing in disguise. It gave me one more year to kind of reap the benefits of being in this team. But yeah, I managed to raise enough money. I had a I had a GoFundMe to allow me to stay for another year. Loads of people got behind me. I managed to stay and then obviously I ran a PB the next year and qualified for the games. So it's the best decision in my life to come here. And I'm so glad there were so many people that's kind of supported me in doing so.
0: That's great to hear, especially what you said about finding love for the sport. It's been really good to talk to you. Congratulations on, on what you achieved in Belgrade with a bit of luck, but If this is to be your your lucky year, I'm sure you'll be glad for it. Maybe uh, a bet on in the lottery, but I'm sure you'd rather having uh, some sort of medal coming out of those uh, major championships to come.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. The amount of people that asked me for the lottery numbers (laughs) that day was... I could count on two hands, so...
0: There we go, yeah. I mean, once uh, (laughs) 10 people make the same joke, it kind of rubs off, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah,
1: it certainly does. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Lots of interesting stuff in that. Not least the debate to be had over whether there should be any change in the rule about qualification, although it is, of course, very unlikely, as we said. Not everyone knew about it, but the rule is there, and it says, if it's not practicable for tying athletes to be placed in the next round, including lane-sharing in the 800 metres, lots shall be drawn to determine which athletes shall be placed in the next round. David King, three-time British champion, 100 metre hurdler, Wants more international success this year. Could it come at Birmingham 2022? Well, I suppose it's high time to talk about what we're going to get from the competition. Will it boost participation of volunteers and athletes? Will it shine a spotlight on all parts of the sport as we'd like it to? Over to England Athletics head of clubs and participation, Emma Davenport, and CEO, Chris Jones.
2: Well, it feels real doesn't it now with the uh, countdown well and truly away we're only several months away from activity beginning in august a home commonwealth games most people will remember glasgow 2014 london 2012 and of course the world championships in 2017 it's a great opportunity to inspire the next generation to get involved in our wonderful sport whatever their background whatever their ability. And inclusive games, and that's something we're particularly looking forward to—the opportunity to inspire the next generation of participants, coaches, officials, committee members, team managers, facility managers, from all backgrounds. It won't just be about what happens on the track, in the field, on the road during the games. It's what can we leave behind when the games comes to an end. And I think there will be clubs and groups across the land who will be looking to harness the inspiration of this wonderful event to support their existing members, their participants in their communities, their schools, their colleges, their universities, but also use the stardust and the inspiration of the event to get more people involved. That's not going to be easy, but with the will and determination and no shortage of skill, all sorts of things are possible.
0: Emma, it's uh, chiefly a Birmingham Commonwealth Games, of course, but as Chris said, there'll be clubs around the country who'll be hoping to benefit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know the games are in Birmingham predominantly, but you know, that's going to generate the next set of heroes for youngsters up and down the country. And those clubs can capitalise on that. So we're helping clubs in terms of officials and coaches in both numbers and, and the quality and quantity of those. We're helping clubs to be ready for that next generation of youngsters, you know, adults that are inspired by the athletes at the Games to get involved, whether that's on the track or on the road or up the fells. We're helping clubs where we can with grants, um, facility upgrades to really embrace this next cohort, you know, that Wimbledon effect that hopefully will happen over the summer, you know, either in the stadium or on the TV, that those youngsters and adults go to their local clubs to, to take part. And then the legacy that comes from that. So embedding programmes such as Phonetics, 365, right up to our talent hubs so that the the next time a home games comes around or the next time the Commonwealth Games is out there or the Olympics, we've got the next generation ready to excel and be the best that they can be in that all inclusive environment.
0: Yeah. And talking of the environment that's central to the Games, you know, there's been so much excitement around the progress of the Alexander Stadium. It's been itself a, a focal point of athletics for nearly 50 years now. Just on a, on a recent podcast that we had, Joel Clark Khan says he's been doing some training in Birmingham and he can see the Alexander Stadium in the background. And that's an extra motivator to try and make the England team. But Chris, it's been really exciting to see the the stadium progress.
2: Well, that's legacy in its own right, isn't it? Physical infrastructure that will be there to benefit the immediate community of Birmingham and further afield in the West Midlands. And uh, we must work collaboratively with Birmingham City Council and other users of the facility to ensure that there is a lasting participation plan for that site. Certainly, from a competition perspective, the new track, the competition track, and indeed the warm up track provide a great platform from which our great sport can flourish in schools, clubs, our communities, our universities, our colleges. But of course, we need to focus on the people side of the plan as well. And that means we're gonna need more volunteers, more coaches, more leaders, more officials to be able to capitalize on the interest that a new facility will create. And I know Birmingham City Council are looking very closely at that. Ourselves and UK Athletics are based at the Alexander Stadium, so we have a vested interest alongside our close partners at Birchfield Harriers, of course, to make that a success. And one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is how we make best use of the warm-up track after the Games. And we all know that there is currently no purpose-built indoor training or competition facility in the Midlands. The West Midlands specifically, I would like to see the warm up track being available for training, for competition, for education purposes, 365 days a year. And one of the things that we're looking at with Birmingham City Council is whether putting uh, an inflatable dome over that warm up track is feasible and whether that would help our legacy participation and performance goals as well. There are opportunities on a number of different levels.
0: Perhaps a good time to maybe look back at uh, the legacy from previous championships. Obviously, we we talked quite a bit about the London 2012 legacy and how that inspired people. Any thoughts on how we can kind of reflect some of that, some of the growth in participation that we saw?
3: Yeah, I think it's um, really important. We've learned from from previous events to make sure that the workforce, so when we say that, the volunteers, the officials, the coaches, you know, the parent helpers, the the guys cutting the, the grass down at the track. Are there and, and ready to go so that when somebody turns up to the to the club that they're welcomed with open arms and that club's ready to, to receive those so that's some of it now that we're doing that we're working through in terms of education development support mentoring we're bringing some more staff in particularly in the officials area to help accelerate that and then helping clubs to make sure they've got the right structures so that you know people who are maybe new to the sport who have seen it on the tv and are not used to an athletics club environment the, the local running club you know, are ready, ready to receive a welcoming. in, have got the information. I think one of the real benefits of some of the previous championships is the younger volunteers and those that want to come and get involved, that want to officiate, that want to start on their coaching journey and how we bring those into the sport, you know, because they've got a lifelong ahead of them to, to volunteer over a number of years. And we see that and we see once we've got people hooked in, they, they tend to stick around for quite a long time. And that's what we need to do is keep that, that pipeline of volunteers coming through you know, and reward and recognise them as well. You know, we have our regional awards celebrations and national awards later in the year in the Hall of Fame, you know, and recognise not only the success on the field and on the track and on the road, but also those that supported them, the coaches, the volunteers, the helpers, you know, behind the scenes as well and and make sure we say a big thank you to those guys.
2: We know that we need more coaches, we need more leaders, we need more officials within our sport, we need more volunteers, we... Also know that we have a challenge within track and field participation, particularly amongst teenage years where youngsters are getting to the age of 16, 17, 18 and deciding to go and do other things. I also think that there's an opportunity to ensure that we are supporting our schools, to ensure that more young people are getting the basic fundamentals of running, jumping and throwing at at early stages. And so there's an opportunity for us at England Athletics to ensure that our Phonetics 4 to 11-year-old programme is embedded within the school system. We launched our strategy Athletes and Runners at the Heart in April 2021. The Commonwealth Games in 2022 gives us an opportunity to accelerate some of that work. And uh, we're encouraging clubs and running groups across the country to tell us about what they're planning to do during Summer 2022 and the build-up to the Commonwealth Games during and after. And our journey to 2022 pages of our England Athletics website provide more information to those bodies as to how they can get involved. But I'm sure there will be clubs across the land that will be thinking about what they can do to address their own club priorities and the strategic priorities that we know exist within the sport.
0: Emma, anything else to add at all on that participation point? Any maybe target areas to improve participation? And we know it's an inclusive games and we've always got the drive to improve participation from a para-sport level and to make it gender equal as well.
3: I think the teenage dropout is a key one for us. And I think that in terms of track and field and one of the areas where we're working on, we're putting some regional club coach leads into the system in April it help clubs around their coaching infrastructures and that pathway for, for youngsters. I think also there's a lot of people that come into the sport later in life. So I'm sure there'll be some individuals that will see the marathon on the screen or the new heroes on the track doing some of the, the endurance events. And that might inspire people to take part in the Couch to 5K, join their local run together groups, you know, get involved in the sport around that healthy lifestyle as well. I think our job as the governing body is to help facilitate that in the background so that when people come knocking on the door of the sport, we're ready to embrace them a bit like you said then, regardless of gender, age, whether they come from a parasport background, we are inclusive and, and we're ready to go.
2: We've got the World Championships, the European Championships bookending the Commonwealth Games. So we need to manage athlete load appropriately, accordingly, selection policies have been out for a considerable amount of time now for the Commonwealth Games alongside the appeals policy. Uh, it's gonna be a challenging process selection. There's a limitation on the number of uh, places available. Uh, Of course, we're very proud and pleased that we've got a larger para cohort of athletes within the team this time around. We do have a reduced team size compared with Glasgow and Gold Coast, but I'm sure that England will field a highly competitive team that will, uh, will, will do all of us very, very proud in Birmingham. And what is wonderful for me having Overseen a, a process at England Athletics from pretty much the last decade of Commonwealth Games, certainly 2014, 2018, and this would be 2022. Uh, it's wonderful to see some of those youngsters who came through the um, under-13s uh, sports hall competitions and then the under 15, 17s England Athletics Championships and 20s, 23s, now vying for position in the Commonwealth Games team. It, it's wonderful. And I'm sure there will be young people who will be waiting with uh, bated breath, looking at how people perform those role models, how they perform in Birmingham this summer, with their um, eyes on the next Commonwealth Games in 2026.
3: A lot of our officials, you know, start officiating at a county. So a bit like Chris was saying then, you know, the officials start at a county level and go up to regionals and then go to our national championships. And I know a lot of the officials in the system have been really excited to be selected and put forward for the Commonwealth Games and I'm really looking forward to that so as much as it's about the athletes actually a lot of the coaches get the reward of seeing their athletes on the on that Commonwealth Games stage a lot of the officials get so much almost recognition of the hours they've put on the local track it's going to be a busy year for them but actually it's really rewarding and they feel the recognition of being seen on that that world stage at a Commonwealth Games.
2: Much has been made of the contribution of volunteers to bring our sport back post pandemic or during the various restrictions that were put in place. Officials have been at the heart of that return. And certainly, if you look at those individuals who would now know that they've been selected for Birmingham 2022, it is a fitting accolade for those individuals who have been selected for all their hard work, their tenacity, their skill, their commitment since 2020 that they've been recognised in this way and of course there are only so many officials who could be recognised with a position on the start list if you like uh, to officiate at Birmingham 2022 but they represent a wider effort in our sport you know we believe there are around between four and five thousand licensed qualified officials in England and without those individuals giving their time for the benefit of others our sport would be almost impossible to deliver so on behalf of everyone at England Athletics congratulations to those officials who have been selected thank you to all officials for everything they've done since March 2020 but certainly in 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 the early throws of 2022 it's been an action-packed period of competition we wish you all the very best for the rest of 2022 and Whilst the Commonwealth Games is ongoing in August, there will be lots of other competition domestically in England taking place, whether that be our England National Championships, the English English schools, track and field championships in July, of which England Athletics supports financially, area, regional and uh, league competition across England. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you on behalf of everyone at England Athletics to all our officials, our technical officials.
0: Well, thanks to Chris, Emma and David for joining in this month's podcast. Keep an eye out for more content. For now, famous last words, but enjoy the good weather and stay safe.